Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you as we go to your word right now. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to each and every one of us tonight. We do want to pray for those that are joining us via live stream or Vimeo or YouTube, that you'd minister to them as well. I thank you for everyone who's here in person, Lord. Minister to every heart. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, we know that Chronicles is written to the Jews who had been in captivity in Babylon for over 70 years, and now they're coming back to inhabit the land that God had given them when they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. And as they're coming back, the Lord has given them, is giving them a history so they understand the significance, because many of those who were coming to Jerusalem had never been there before. And now they're coming back to where the temple is and coming back to something that's all foreign to them. And so this is a history lesson. And First Chronicles focuses mainly on King David. And when we get to Second Chronicles, it'll focus largely on Solomon. So as we come to chapter 25, King David is at drawing near to the end of his life. And he, doesn't gather, he gathers his family together, but as he gathers them together and his leaders together, it's not to give them the inspiring speech that most would think. We've talked about this. He didn't talk to them about how to defeat their enemies or how to, uh, you know, to grow in wealth or how to expand their borders or anything like that, even though those are things that could be significant. David had one focus, worshiping God. David had one focus, is that the next generation would keep its eyes on Almighty God, and specifically his son Solomon, who was going to become the king in his place. And so... Again, the things that were not important to him, again, were all those things that were temporary. And here's the reality. I've actually been with a few people on their deathbed or near it. And when you talk to them, they never say, I wish I'd gone on more vacations. They never say, I wish I'd made more money or I'd bought that car I always wanted. It's always the same thing for the most part, especially if they know the Lord. I wish I had served the Lord more. I wish I had spent more time with my family. And my deepest prayer is that my kids will love the Lord even more than I do. And you know what? That was David's prayer. And that's the prayer of every parent in here. Amen? I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's nothing I want more than to have kids who love God as much or more than I do. So it's a great example of how we should live our lives that, to focus on worshiping the Lord and being faithful to God's calling upon our lives. And again, we're going to see that in tonight's text, the focus on worshiping God and being faithful to God's calling upon our lives, both in our daily lives, at home, at work, in the community, and in our local church. And David's calling as the king of Israel was to make sure that he left them with their eyes on God. He had seen what was, take, was taking place at the time as idolatry was coming into the land. He too had fallen, as we all know, with Bathsheba. And now he's at a place at the end of his life where he's focusing on what really matters. I will tell you, again, I, I'm not at the end, end of my life, but you never know. And, I'm, and by the way, you can't threaten me with that, so I'm all for it. But, you know, you know I'm going to be 60 on my next birthday, and you know, I feel like I'm still 30 sometimes until I try to get out of bed and everything cracks. But, but the reality is that we're closer, I'm closer to heaven than I've ever been. And the closer I get, the more I care about eternity and the less I care about the temporary. I just don't care. It's just not that important anymore. So what is most important in David's heart of worship is building the temple. So for him, we've seen this the last several weeks, 
He can't build it because he was a king who shed blood. He was a king of war. And so the Lord said, you cannot build the temple. I'm going to allow your son to build it. So what did David do? Everything he could to get his son ready. He went out and bought all the materials, had them ready to go. He get, he's, gonna, he's got the craftsmen ready that he's going to need all ready to go. He's lining up, as we saw last week, he arranged for the, the priests and the Levites who were going to serve in the temple once it was rebuilt. And he set them up that they were going to have two weeks every year where they served in the temple. So he put all that in order. And now in tonight's text, he's going to focus on something else. He's going to focus on worship. See, the temple meant nothing without the sacrifices. See, if the temple sat there and they never made sacrifices, it would miss out on what the temple was there for. What were the who were the sacrifices all a picture of? Who is it? Jesus. So every sacrifice, they had a morning and night every single day. They had special sacrifices throughout the year. And all the sacrifices that took place were all pointing to Jesus. And if there's no priest, and if there's no one to make the sacrifice, then the temple is really not operating in the way that God had created it. And the same is true of worship. God created the temple to be a place of sacrifice, but also a place of worship. The people would come and sing praise songs and worship the Lord. And the same is true for us. This church is not a church if we don't have Jesus Christ at the center of it and, and the greatest sacrifice of all on the cross of Calvary. And if we don't have a heart to worship, amen? The only thing we're going to do on heaven, one of the few things we do in heaven we, that we've done on earth is worship. So Solomon at this time is probably in his late teens and David is headed into eternity and he just wants his son so desperately to follow the Lord. And again, as Christian parents, we're not going to be on our deathbed really glad that our kids got that extra degree in college. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. What's really going to matter is what have they done with God's son? That's the only thing we'll be concerned about. So last week I told the message, God wants to use you for his glory and we saw that the church functions best when we all use our gifts. Everybody here, if you're born again, you have a gift, more than likely multiple gifts, and God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. We saw that God places us where he wants to use us. I get this argument all the time. I'm getting it lately a lot, where it just doesn't matter where you go or what you do, the same amount of people are going to get saved, so it just doesn't matter what you do. Well, show me a Bible verse that says that. We know that God is sovereign, but God is also desires to use us for his kingdom and for his glory. And while we're not all called to do the same thing, we're all called. And then finally, God uses young and old alike. So, you know, if you're a teenager or, you know, you're a jack about to turn 100, God's not done with you yet, Amen. And God wants to use you for his glory. So David is trying to prepare his son. David is desperate to see his son finishing strong and, and walking with the Lord. He wants to finish strong himself. So he's assigned the priest. To, the sacrifices are all set up. The practical things with all the Levites that would be there to serve in the tabernacle and the temple. And now again, he's got a greater heart to point him to worship. So if you've got your outline, grab it. It looks a little different than they usually do. Usually I break it down by verses, but we're really only going to look at the first eight verses because the last, uh, from verse 9 to 31, is just breaking down which uh, worship leaders are going to serve when and where. And we'll go through that, but the first eight verses is really what it's about. Now what I want to say about this is that David was a man of worship. And we know that even before he was anointed king, what did he do? What did they have to go get him from when they anointed him king? What was he doing? He was a shepherd. 
And as a shepherd, most of your time is spent alone with sheep and an occasional wolf or some other animal that comes in to attack them. And we know the Bible tells us when David was alone by himself, he would not only watch the sheep, but he would worship the Lord. So he was a young man who had a heart to worship. We know that he wrote at least 73 of the 150 Psalms. He may have written more than that, but we know for sure that he wrote 73. And what is a Psalm? It's a song. So he wrote songs unto the Lord, and he would sit and play his harp and sing to the Lord all by himself. And you know what? When I want to say this. I'm, most of the worship that I have is by myself. I worship on Sundays, and I worship on Thursdays, and I worship other times, but most of my worship takes place when I'm in my car. Tomorrow morning, I'll be driving two hours to an appointment 105 miles from here, and I'll be worshiping the Lord for almost all of that. And see, to me, as believers, what does worship do? Worship gets our eyes on the Lord, and, what, and worship should have two things. It's we're, we're singing to the Lord, and we're singing about the Lord. Amen? About who he is, his attributes, his holiness, you know, his righteousness, his faithfulness. Amen? And so most of that worship for in many Christians' lives comes when we're alone because the reality is we're away from church more than we're here. Sometimes it's just when you're cleaning the house, you're vacuuming, you're making dinner, and you got worship music on, and you're worshiping the Lord. Well, King David was a, a man who worshiped the Lord. It was a part of who he was. And now as his life is nearing an end, he wants to make sure that worship remained a priority after he was gone. And may we too keep worship at the forefront of who we are as believers. The Bible says, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And it's not just what we say, but it's also the other things that come out of our mouth, including worship. You've heard me use this illustration many times. If I videotaped you for the next week, 24 hours a day, everything you said, everything you did, and then I put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would they see you worshiping? Would they see you praying? Would they see you opening up your Bible? Would they see the way you treat other people? Would they see an example, a Christ-like example to a lost and a dying world? Worship should be an outpouring from our hearts as we rejoice in our salvation. You know what else drives me to worship? Reading the Bible. Because when you read the word of God and you read about, see, to know him better is to love him more and to love him more is to drive us to a place where we want to worship him more. Amen? It's concerning to me when I see Christians not worshiping. It just tells me kind of where your heart is sometimes. And that's not my call. That's God's call. But if you don't love to worship, spend more time in the word and get to know our Savior better. So I titled the message, A Heart of Worship. And I just have a bunch of bullet points here. Most of them are going to come in the first few verses. But these are all things about worship that I saw in these eight verses we're going to look at in depth. First of all, a heart of worship is what I titled the message. It's an outpouring of our hearts as we rejoice in our salvation. Guys, we must never let the fact that we're born again grow common. Amen? We must never forget the fact that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, that we all deserve to burn in hell for all eternity, but by the grace of God, we've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, assured. The Holy Spirit's come to live inside of us. Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And like DC Talk said, we're ha-ha, heaven bound. Amen? And as we remember that, you know what that does? It brings joy to our hearts. And it helps us in the midst of the difficulties of this life to remember that this suffering is just for but a little while. 
and heaven is better, and heaven is coming, and the fact that we've been forgiven, we ought to be shouting it from the mountaintops. Amen? Should be something that flows from our hearts. Worship is an expression of trust and faith. You don't worship, you don't worship God if you don't have faith in God, and you won't worship him if you don't trust him. You know, uh, I've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of divine appointments have taken place since my son went to heaven, and I will say that I love the Lord today more than ever, I trust him more today than ever, and I have more faith in him today than ever, and the reason that I do is because when we go through suffering, trials, and difficulty, you realize that he's the one you need to hang on to, amen? When you're laying down in green pastures, you can forget where the shepherd is, but when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're hanging on to him with both hands, Amen? So I want to encourage us that worship is an expression of trust and of faith. Uh, ministry in music is more than just good musicianship. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit being, exa- being exercised to the ones who lead us in worship. See, worship leaders are actually lead worshipers. So that's what they should be. They should just be worshiping and we just join them. Amen? And it's not, now look, should they be good musicians? We'll talk about that, of course, the the best they can be. You don't have to be the best musician in the world to lead worship, but here's what we want. Here's what we want to do no matter what ministry we're in. We hope that that they never notice us and they only think of him. Amen. Amen? I don't care what the ministry is. And in worship, if you're learning, sometimes you're you're not quite ready because if you're not you know, capable enough, and you're making a lot of mistakes, it's going to take the focus off the Lord and put it on you, and you don't want that. But you also have the other extreme, and I've seen this a lot, where someone's so gifted that they're up here showing off, and they take the focus off the Lord that way. Amen? Quick story, when I was a youth pastor in San Jose, I became youth, I thought I'd never do youth again. I went up there to plant a church. I ended up being the youth pastor, and I went in to take over the struggling youth group and, or to serve them. And when I got there, the guy leading worship had a sparkle shirt on, mascara, his hair was all done up, and, I, and it was the most nauseating thing I've ever seen in my life. I walked in, and he's gigging, and he's looking at the girls and doing all this. And I'm sitting in the back going, what in the world is this nonsense? He got through one song, I walked up, and he said, I'm not done. I said, yes, you are. And his dad was one of the elders at the church. He said, I'm going to tell Pastor Don. I said, let's go talk to him. So after service, I went, and he goes, he's not letting me do worship. I said, yeah, because he's made it all about him. This isn't worship. It's a rock concert featuring this guy. And we want to keep people's eyes on Jesus. Amen? And the following week, I had a guy who was learning how to play guitar, sit on it. He knew three chords and three songs. I said, that's enough. I'd rather have that. And he sat on his stool and learned how to play worship and over time became very gifted. So look, when, whether we're leading worship or we're in any kind of a ministry, we want them to forget us and remember him. Amen? And too often we fall into that trap of nobody said how amazing my message was. Get over yourself. It wasn't about you. If it was good, God did it. If it was bad, you got in the way. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> worship is also singing to the Lord about the Lord and about the Lord. So when we worship, and I, you know, Joel Osteen's wife just said this not long ago. She said, when we worship, it's not about God. It's really about us. And I just wanted to hurl because that's so nauseating. It's never about us. It's always about him. Amen. Now, again, he loves us so much, he'd rather die than live without us. We should never lose sight of how valuable we are in his sight. And we're the pearl of great price that he would sell everything to to buy us and adopt us into his family. But you know what? He died on the cross, not us. 
He, he created us. We didn't create ourselves. He gets all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because he's worthy of it. Amen? So when we worship, it's nauseating. Some worship songs all about you. If the worship song focuses on you, it's not worship. We got enough selfies. Let's keep them out of worship. Amen? Let's keep the focus on the Lord and not on us. We'll see then that worship, true worship, aligns with the word of God. So when you when you, look, when you look at the lyrics in a worship song, when you're singing songs in a worship song, it should always align with the truth that we find in God's word. And then we see that worship given by God is prophetic. We're going to see that in the verses tonight. You know, prophecy is a word that people misunderstood, and it has two meanings. It can be foretelling. It's the speaking of things yet to come. But also it can be forthtelling, which means proclaiming of the truth. So every time you open the Bible and read it, in a sense, that is prophetic because you are proclaiming the truth that is found in God's word. Well, the same is true of worship. When we sing praise songs, it's prophetic as we're singing about the Lord, as we're singing about his second coming or we're singing about his death on the cross or whatever we're singing about, it's proclaiming the truth so it is prophetic. Now you see in there in your notes, purposes for prophecy, there's three things. Edification, to build you up in your faith, to help them to trust in Jesus more. So when we spend time in the word, whether it's foretelling or foretelling, when the word of God ministers to us, it builds us up in our faith and helps us to trust the Lord more. It exhorts us to encourage someone to move in their faith, to get them going in the Lord. Now I know that's one of the gifts God's given me and I'm very exhortive as you know if you've come here more than a week, right? And so, but that exhortation comes to me first. But the exhortation is, okay, now that we know this, what are we going to do about it? Now that we've read what the Word of God says, how should that change my life? And then finally, it comforts those who are hurting. You know, when you read the Word of God and the, the Word of God ministers to your heart, the prophetic truth of God's Word, it will comfort you when you're hurting, when you, you, to bring healing uh, to one who is discouraged or depressed or to bring comfort to someone who is hurting. Now, what else is worship? Worship is also the Holy Spirit at work. Have you ever walked? Now, I know for me, I've had hundreds of these, and then I have some I really remember. Have you ever been in a place where you're worshiping and you just never want to leave? Where you're just worshiping the Lord and you're in God's presence and the Holy Spirit is so evident there and you just don't want to go anywhere else. And here's what I have to say. When we are worshiping, and the Holy Spirit is moving, there is nothing this world has that compares to that. Amen? Amen. And when we get to heaven, we're going to experience it. So the glimpse of heaven, the, the greatest glimpse of heaven we get here on earth is when we worship. Because worship, again, is one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. Nothing the world has can match it. Now what quenches I already kind of covered these. But what quenches the Holy Spirit? Songs that do not magnify the Lord. Uh, I've gone into churches where they're singing secular songs. They're singing like, you know, whatever. And you're like, dude, what is that? You know, and again, we want to make sure that the Lord is the focal point. And then worship leaders that are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. See, it was better for that youth group to have this young man sitting on the edge of the stool that loved Jesus playing his three chords the best he could because he loved the Lord and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that other young man, after some time, it was very clear he didn't even know the Lord. But you know there are churches that will actually hire a worship team, they'll hire a bunch of professional musicians to come in and lead worship? 
I don't want Jimi Hendrix leading worship. Can I get an amen to that? I, I, it does, I don't care how gifted you are if you don't know the Lord. Because look, you cannot lead me into the presence of somebody you don't know. Amen? So we want people who are filled with the Holy Spirit who bring us into the presence of the one that they love the most. See, they're the lead worshipers, and they bring us into his presence. And again, lastly, you see there, worship leaders are to be lead worshipers. So I know that's different. It's not broken down by verse. Some points we're going to hit. So let's begin there in verse 1. So now we, we got the priests and the Levites all set into place. They're all arranged by who's going to serve when. And now he moves from the priests and the Levites, and he's going to begin to talk about worship. It says, moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph. So moreover, so moreover, in addition to appointing priests and Levites for service in the temple, David gathered his military captains to take part in the selection of the worship leaders for Israel. See, David gave a high regard to those who were in his his military, those, those captains, there, was, there were people that he sought for counsel, along with people uh, you know, like Samuel and other prophets, and he gathers them up. And it's interesting that the military had a part in determining the nation's worship, because the Bible definitely speaks of a connection between praise and spiritual warfare. How many of you guys know that there's a spiritual war taking, on, taking place around us right now? Amen? Bible tells us we battle not with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. So the spiritual battle takes place all around us. And what is one of the things that Satan hates the most? We're teaching about it tonight. What is it? Worship. Worship. He hates it. See, he, wa- he was, you know, most people believe that he was the, the, not only the most beautiful angel, but he was the worship leader in heaven. So he probably had the most beautiful voice. And so what happened was it went to his head and he thought, I will be like the most high in in Isaiah. And he he wanted to take the place of almighty God. And so it grieves him that he, you know, he has people who do worship him. But as we worship the true and living God, he hates it. And you know what else too? I truly believe this. I believe that when we're worshiping the Lord, he doesn't want to hang out where we're at. Amen. And so let's worship. I tell people to struggle. I said, man, just put worship music on and your people struggling, sleeping. Just turn worship music on, amen? Just begin with prayer. So you know what? These musicians, again, were in a sense warriors in the midst of spiritual warfare. So he goes to his military people and says, look, we need to raise up some worship leaders. We need to have people that are going to lead these people. I'm going to be gone soon. I want worship to continue. This is a priority. We've got the priests in place. We've got the Levites in place. We've got all the materials for the temple. Once it's built, we need to make sure that worship continues. And again, we see in 2 Chronicles 20, we'll see that in a few months, when faced with a multitude of Ammonites and Moabites and Edomites, all the, and the termites, right, and all the ites, Jehoshaphat cried out, to God for help. And God answered him and said, just sit back and watch me fight. It's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. You just stand back and watch me fight. By the way, isn't that the best thing to do? Just leave it in the Lord's hands. Vengeance is mine. Our pace says the Lord. We don't have to fight the battle. So when the day came, Jehoshaphat sent out singers out in front of the army to sing praises to God. And as they did, God struck the enemy and they started fighting each other until they were all dead. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
There was nothing magical about their worship. In fact, notice that God didn't even tell them to worship. He just said, stand by and watch. But their worship was an expression of their faith and trust in God. You know, we're going to worship you, Lord, because you said you're going to fight the battle. The battle belongs to you. I already know you're going to win. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be worried. I can just sit here and praise you knowing what the outcome's going to be. That's a word for all of us right now with the turmoil going on in the world around us right now. Guess what? God wins. Amen? And in the midst of it, we can just praise him at the top of our lungs because praise God, no matter how thick the world is around us, no matter how far away from God our world seems to be, I'm so glad that God is in control and he's greater still. Amen? There's nothing magical, again, about their words themselves, but they trusted God to deliver them. Do you trust God to deliver you? Do you trust God in the midst of the greatest trials of life? Do you run to the Lord in the midst of your trials, or do you run from him? So much they were thanking him of the deliverance before it even happened. That's a good way to pray. Thank you, Lord, that I'm going to heaven. Amen? Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. I want to thank him even now. Amen? I say it 10 times a day. When people ask me, how you doing? I always say, I'm going to heaven. Going to heaven. How about you? Going to heaven. Heaven's better. Amen? Their worship was an expression of faith, and God knew they were trusting him by what was coming out of their mouths. And you know what? The world knows whether we're trusting God or we're panicking by what's coming out of our mouths. Amen? So David sensed a connection between the security of the kingdom and the worship and honoring of God. In chapter 25, here, David is concerned. Uh, we're going to see over 4,000 Levites are going to be musicians. It's back, in, it's back in 23 verse 5. It says that they raised up 4,000 people for security and 4,000 musicians. So they're going to be 4,000 worship leaders in the temple. We're going to see tonight that 288 of them are going to be like the lead worshipers, the worship leaders, if you will. And I believe they're probably going to be training the rest of them. And they're going to be serving in practical ways. Uh, they'd, be, they'd be winding up cords if they're around today. Amen? But among those chosen for service, it says there were the sons of Asaph. Now, how many of you have heard of Asaph before? And what book of the Bible is he all over? What is it? Psalms. We know that uh, Asaph was the writer of, of, again, at least 12 Psalms. He wrote Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 through 83. And you know what's amazing about the Psalms that he wrote? They're some of the ones that people are still singing today. And you know, what I love having grown up in the church, and I'm really blessed that I did. You know, you guys know I'm a PK, preacher's kid, right? And uh, I grew up going to church and I, I just, I worship songs are just, I mean, they just come back all the time. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in the shower and I'll, I'll just start singing a song I haven't sang in 10 years and I'm right in the middle of the song and you just start singing it. You know what it is? And the, that worship's in our heart, amen? And so Asaph wrote a lot of those songs that are still being sung today. It says not only Asaph, but Heman and Jedithan. Now Asaph... Their, name, their names, again, each of them, Asaph, they're all from the three different tribes, three different families of the Levites. Asaph was from the line of Gershom. Hermon was, uh, uh, Hernan was of the tribe line of Kohath. 
and Jeduthun was of the line of Merari. And so they had different callings as families, but from each of their families would come those who would lead people in worship. And then it says this, it says, should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. If you don't think there should be drums at church, there's your verse. <laughs> Amen? Harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. Now, the service was connected with prophecy here. He's saying, in, he's saying, look, you proclaim prophecy and use instruments while you're doing it. So what happens when we're singing worship songs? Many of them are taken right out of the Bible. They certainly should be pointing to the Lord. So as we're worshiping, prophetic truth is coming forth. And you know what? I will say this too. I believe that Music helps us memorize stuff. Can I get an amen to that? So it's so funny because when I was a youth pastor, I'd, I'd do memory verses, and this was early on. I was trying to figure out how to minister to teens, and they couldn't memorize anything. And then I'd say, what's a popular song right now? And one of them starts singing it, and they'd all rip through the whole thing. I'm trying to get them to memorize eight words, and they're singing a song with 300 in it, and they remember it. But the same is true with worship, isn't it? Songs I sang as a little kid, I still remember. See, songs given by God are prophetic. When it agrees with the word of God, and they endure through time, through generations, sung with the same passion today that many of them were sung thousands or even hundreds or even thousands of years ago. What percentage of people in the United States think, do you think know the, the song Amazing Grace? 90%? Even unbelievers know that song, Right? And when you listen to the words of that song, it's not seeker sensitive. Amen? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Right. A wretch like me. That's not seeker sensitive. But you know what I love that song is you, his grace is amazing, isn't it? And, and, and it's precious. How great thou art. Amen? How great thou, how many guys know that song? The old rugged cross, blessed assurance. Just as I am. Have you ever watched the Billy Graham crusade? That's the song that everybody came forward to. Rock of Ages. Turn, my, one of my favorite songs, I sing this almost every day at some point when I'm driving around. And here it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Amen? It's a simple song, but you know what it does? It gets me from looking at the heartache in this life, and it gets me looking back to the one. I'll tell you another one of my favorite songs, and uh, Joshua quotes it every, son, every time he does announcements. Jesus loves me, this I know. Isn't that so true? And I just love that. There's so many songs that come straight from the Psalms. Sing unto the Lord a new song. That's from Psalm 149. I lift my eyes up to the mountains where my help comes from. That's Psalm 121. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. That comes from Psalm 19. My soul will wait upon the Lord. Psalm 62. Psalm 119. You are my hiding place. And we could go on and on and on and on. There's literally thousands of songs that we sing today that come straight from the word of God. 
The Holy Spirit, prophetic, foretelling worship will always agree with the word of God and the focus is on the Lord, it's not on us. And he said, look, you gather together and you take the music that God's created. By the way, and this will bug some people, that's all right. Uh, why did God create music? For what? For worship, amen? And who wants to be worshiped instead? The enemy. Be careful what kind of music you listen to because some of the very music you listen to worships the enemy and not the Lord. Amen? So much of it is just brutal. I told you, I think I told you guys this. I got in the car with a pastor. This was about 15 years ago. We're going to lunch. And we get in the car and he starts it up and ACDC is playing in his car. Highway to hell. I'm like, bro, Really? You're singing Highway to Hell in your car on your way to church? Help me out here, bro. Right? I mean, who's getting glorified in that? Amen? Lord, help us to focus on him. You know what? He created music to worship him, and that's where the focus should be. Look, again, we often think of prophecy as telling the future. And again, that can be that God will prophesy and God will speak through people. But at the same time, since God knows the future foretelling may actually come to pass as well. It says in 1 Corinthians, but he that prophesies speaks unto man edification, exhortation, and comfort. And those are three things we talked about in the outline that again, as someone speaks and foretells the word, it builds us up in our faith and it encourages us to move in our faith and it comforts us when we are hurting. Again, when you walk into a room and people are worshiping, there's very few things more powerful than that. And again, it's a glimpse of what heaven will be like one day. The Holy Spirit is at work, and nothing the world can do to offer, can, again, there's nothing the world can do to match it. Now, what quenches the Holy Spirit? Again, we talked about in the outline, songs that are not sung to the Lord or for the Lord or agree with his word. And so, I think some people can nitpick into the ground and they'll, you know, but I, look, we know, and, I, and if you're walking in the spirit, you know when something honors the Lord and when something doesn't. Worship leaders that are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and again, worship leaders must be saved. They cannot lead us in the presence of someone they don't know, and there are churches, again, that will hire worship. I was speaking at a church as the guest speaker, and they had a worship team that was hired, and there was two services. And I was sitting in the back going over my notes and the worship team was out in the back foyer and they were all out there smoking and uh, one guy was smoking a joint and they were dropping F-bombs. And I'm like, what in the world is this nonsense? And the senior pastor wasn't there so I took the liberty to fire him before the second service. <laughs> I said, yeah, we don't need you guys. And they're like, well, they... I, Go home. I don't want you here. Get out. Go away. You can stay for the service and listen to the message, but you're not, you're not playing any music up here. Amen? No thanks. Senior pastor called me. What did you do? I go, bro, what did you do? You had me teaching after it got satanic worship before I teach the Bible. What's up with that? Amen? And I, I went out between services. Do you know anybody here who plays the guitar? Anybody? <laughs> We got this gal that leads worship for the, for the children's ministry. Tell her I want her to lead worship second service. She came out, sat on a stool, it was great. Amen? We want people that love Jesus. Amen? 
That would be like hiring an eloquent speaker to get up and read a message that somebody else prepared for him, but he doesn't know Jesus. Where's the power in that, amen? How many of you guys know who Charles Haddon Spurgeon is? You've heard of him? Prince of Preachers in London, 1800s. They used to take his entire message and put it on the front page of the London Times every Monday. Word for word, back when there was no recordings. And people asked him about, you know, wow, isn't that fantastic? He goes, yeah, you know what? The words are there, but they can't preach the fire. They can't print the fire, amen? The the fire of the Holy Spirit that comes with it. Guys, and and too often we fall into that trap, you know, if we just have the smoke machine going and we we got all the lights and we're doing the whole thing that'll draw the crowd. Guys, I want to draw into the Lord's presence, not draw a crowd, Amen. Worship leaders like all who serve the Lord should do everything with excellence. You should learn and grow in, in whatever your gifting is. Whatever you're being used by God for, you should get better at it. You should do everything with excellence as unto the Lord. I've been a pastor 34 years. I still study 50 hours a week because you never arrive. You can always grow in what God has called you to do. Amen? And the same is true. And worship leaders can't become the focal point, can become the focal point in two ways. They distract by their inability. At uh, one time, it was so painful. I was at Calvary San Jose, same thing. Pastor Don's out of town and this guest band's there. And the guy that was playing, I, look, I never notice worship. That means they're doing a great job. Amen? If I don't notice it, perfect. If I notice it, something's wrong. Amen? And this guy was playing the drums, and I don't know the difference, but everything he was doing was just off the whole worship song. And there's 2,500 people in there. And it's like, yeah, and everybody can kind of like, this is, what is wrong here? Something's wrong, you know? And it's just, you know, it's so distracting that nobody's worshiping and everybody's like, what? And finally, after the third song, I got, I got him and said, let's pray. I prayed and I said, bro, you got to take the drummer out of here. Got to remove that guy, bro. And he goes, yeah, it was kind of rough. I said, no, it's distracting. Now, look, I love the guy. And I told him, God bless you and take some more lessons. And we love you. But the reality is we don't want people coming to worship and looking at anybody but looking up. Amen? We want people looking up. It's all about him. It's not about us. Amen? Some distract by showing off how great their ability is and and they're gigging. If you've been going to church any length of time, you've seen somebody gigging. And they're doing the whole, you know, look at me, and I'm amazing. And Pastor Chuck used to say that the worship, that worship teams, or worship uh, was taking over the world. And now they get their focus off. And, you know, this thing called strange fire, where we get so focused on, again, entertaining, and we lose sight of leading people into God's presence. Again, worship leaders ought to be lead worshipers, ushering people into God's presence, and God being exalted and we speaking from our hearts to the Lord. Again, so the prophecy comes to harps and stringed instruments and cymbals. And again, so music is biblical. There are actually whole denominations that don't believe you should play music when you do worship. Church of Christ. Most of them believe you don't play worship, you don't play music. And I'm like, what Bible verse you got for that? A friend of mine took me to a service. I'm actually glad he took me because I never thought I, I never experienced this. And what they did is everybody stood up and had everybody face the other side of the church. And a guy blew a like a, a tune horn, like and then everybody started singing, looking at the other people. It was the most awkward, lame thing I've ever seen in my life. I go, what is that? It was painful. Amen. Now look, it's better to sing 
acapella, right, than have somebody distracting us, but it can be a distract. Worship is good. Music is good. God created it. Amen? Let's use it for his glory. Now, it says there at the end of verse 1, and the number of skilled men performing their service was, and now he's going to name all the people again. Here's the people that are serving. And these next seven verses, we're going to see that from each of these main families, it starts with Asaph. It says there, the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, Azariah, and the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. So Asaph, we know again most about him of all the men listed here, because he was the head of the music ministry. He was the worship leader for all of Israel. And so his children underneath him were worship leaders, and he was the one that trained them to lead worship, but he was still under the authority of the king, who at that time was David. And the same is true for anybody who leads worship. They're still under the authority of the king, who is our king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? So we want to honor him. He's the focal point. He's the reason that we worship, and it's him and him alone that we want to satisfy. So Asaph, under the hands of Asaph, again, each family had an authority ahead of the family who brought structure to these music groups. I guess you'd call them the Asaph band or something, right? But these were all parts of his family. And it is amazing how often this happens. Not that it it takes the place all the time, but a lot of times, uh, one of my good friends, uh, who was our worship leader in San Jose, he's got four kids and they're all worship leaders. He was a worship leader. All his kids are worship leaders. Our next worship leader after that, his whole family, his kids, his wife, his sister-in-law, everybody, all worship leaders and all uniquely gifted. But part of that is that we follow the pattern of the, the person that's raising us. Amen? And it's not surprising that my dad's a pastor and my son-in-law is a pastor, right? We got three generations of pastors in our family, but that's not really that surprising because my first word was Bible. But I grew up in a family. My mom said we would go in the backyard, my brother and I, we'd stand on a box and preach at each other when we were three years old. You know, we love doing this because you'd follow the pattern. And so here's Asaph. He's a worship leader and he's leading his kids to be the same. And guys, my prayer would be this, that we would live such a life that we would want our kids to follow the pattern we're in. Not that we're perfect. We're sinners saved by grace. But I pray we would live in such a way that if our kids grew up to be a lot like us, It wouldn't be horrifying. It would be a blessing. Amen? May we live in such a way that we're an example for them to follow. Pastor Tim's, both his daughters lead worship. Surprise. Amen? Lindsay leads worship in France, and you've seen Chelsea up here on Sundays, and she leads worship for the overcomers, and that's not surprising at all. So he prophesied according to the order of the king. He still was faithful to the one who oversaw him. Then it says there in verse 3, or, or Jedithun, it says the sons of Jedithun, Gedaliah, Ziri, Jeshuiah, um, sorry, it's a little dark over, Shemai, Hashbiah, I wouldn't be able to read them any better anyway, don't worry about it. Mathathiah, it says, six under the direction of their father, Jedithiah, who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and to praise the Lord. 
He's also referred to his name in 1 Chronicles 6 as Ethan, and he's mentioned in the titles of three different psalms. In Psalm 39, it says, uh, to the chief musician, Jeduthun, a psalm of David. It says in Psalm 62, to the chief musician, Jeduthun. So he was a man that was used mightily by the Lord. And it says there, I cried out unto God with my voice, unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. You know that God hears your prayers, and I also believe he he hears your worship. Amen? When we sing out to him, he hears it. And the Bible tells us that it blesses him. It's a sweet-smelling aroma in his presence. Verse 4, it says, Of Haman, the sons of Haman, Bukiah, Mathaniah, Uziel, Sheuel, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliaf, Gittatai, Romantai, Ezir, Josh, Bekashah, Malathai, they're just making stuff up, Hothir, Amazahiah. Now, what's amazing about this, all the sons of Homan, the king's seer, in the words of God to exalt his horn, for God gave him 14 sons and three daughters. He had 17 children, and according to this, they're all leading worship. And he's raising them up and training them up in the way that they should go. And now they're going to be that next generation after he passes along. And they're leading people into the presence of God. And notice he's referred to as the king seer. The word seer there is another word for a prophet. So he's a prophet like Samuel. And so it says in 1 Samuel 9, Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of the Lord, thus he spoke, Come, let us go to the seer, for he is now called a prophet, was before time called a seer. So he is somebody who would, who would intercede with the Lord, who would hear from God. Again, in those days, they didn't have a completed revelation. And while people are prophetic, I don't believe we have prophets in that sense. But I believe that the prophetic truth goes forth from God's word. Amen. And I believe that people can say things that are prophetic. But I don't, you know, people are asking me, do you want the Kansas City prophets to come to church? No. I want the Jerusalem prophets right here. Can I get an amen to that? I want the word of God. We don't need men. We have the word of God. It says, it says in there in verse 5, in the words of God to lift up the horn, to exalt him according to the word of God. The phrase to lift up the horn is a phrase which always used figurative in the Old Testament. It means to add strength or to honor someone. He said he came alongside to honor God, to lift up his name. And that's what we should do. People who get to know us should want to know what's different, and then we should be able to point them to the Lord and say, the only reason I'm different is because of what he has done in my life. What the writer is saying is that her mom was honored by God by having so many children, and then for God gave him 14 sons and three daughters, all these sons and daughters, the king seer, for God had honored him with so many children. You know that children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5 says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth, of thy youth. Happy is the man that hath a quiver full of them. They shall be not ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. God strengthened and exalted her mom by giving him lots of sons and daughters. So children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen? They're a gift from God. We should be thankful for them. You know, I love my children and my grandchildren, but I love all children. How about you? Don't you just love childlike faith? You want to see me be a wreck 
have a bunch of little kids that come up here and sing songs on a Sunday morning and, and someone also have to teach. I mean, I just, I'm a weeping mess. Because you know, when you see children just loving Jesus, doesn't it just grip your heart? Amen? Let the little children come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. What a blessing to be, you know, as Herman was blessed with 17 children. Verse six says, all these were under direction of their father. For the music in the house of the Lord was cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. For the service of the house of God, Asaph, Chedjuthun, Hermon were under the authority of the king. So all these three men were worship leaders in their families. They were raising up others to worship the Lord as well. And we're going to see at the end of this that through their families, there's 228 worship leaders out of these three families. And we're going to see that they're all very gifted. It is a, an amazing honor and privilege to lead people into God's presence. It's a privilege. I can't believe we get to do that. I can't believe we get to open up the Bible and, and share the truth with somebody. What a privilege it is to pray with somebody. Amen? To put your arm around somebody and to pray for them, to intercede with Almighty God on their behalf. And the greatest thing you can do for me and the greatest thing you can do for each other is to pray for each other. Amen? People will come and say, well, all I can do is pray for you. That's the greatest thing you can do for me and for each other. Amen? Then it says there in verse 7, So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all were skillful, was 288. So they were very skillful. That means they were accomplished musicians. Now, that didn't just happen by chance. By the way, in two weeks, I really, if you're, if you're please come two weeks from tonight on a Thursday because we have someone coming who we're going to ordain that following Sunday. Most of you have not met him because he was here early on in our church. His name's Mike Massey. Mike moved to Texas. He was, he was the, one of the first people to come alongside me, and, we, and, and our families planted this church. He's been in Texas for like eight years. Uh, he was at my son's funeral. Uh, I did his daughter's funeral, and then he spoke at my son's. So we are very close, and God's using him in a mighty way, and he's going to teach two weeks from Thursday. And I want some people to be here for him when he teaches. Can I get an amen to that? Let's be here. I'm going to sit in the front row taking notes. He's a gifted guy, and then on that Sunday, see, we, by the way, we don't ordain people. God ordains people. We just recognize who God already ordained. Amen to that? But you know what? That brother studies. And he does a, a 10 minute thing every day on YouTube in the morning. He went through all of Genesis. I would watch it every morning. It was 10 minutes long. It was great. And now he's doing Revelation, and it's great. And it just pops up on my phone. When I get up in the morning, it's the first thing I see. I make it part of my devotions. And he's really gifted. But the point is that when he was here, he had never, never really taught the Bible before. Do you know that most of the guys who teach here now had not taught a lot before they got here? Some not at all. And you know what happens? It's when, you, when the Lord's moving on your heart and you rec recognize that this is something that you feel called to do. You know what you do? You need to study. You need to spend time preparing yourself for it. Amen? And the same is true. If you want to be on the worship team or if you want to you know, teach our children or whatever, we shouldn't do anything unprepared. Amen? It's a disaster. It's an amazing honor. So there were 24 groups, 12 in each, and they were going to be on that same... Remember last week, there was a rotation that everybody did two weeks. They would serve for two weeks. And that's what these groups are going to do. There's 24 groups, right? 
And there's 12 in each group, and they would lead worship for two weeks in the temple, and then the next group, and then the next group. So they all had a chance to use their gifts, but they also could do that away from the temple as well. We know, again, from 1 Chronicles 23, there were 4,000 who praised the Lord with music instruments. So that means that there were 288 that were accomplished, and they gave ministry away to the people behind them. And one of the things that we need to make sure we do, I'll just make it real clear to you guys. There's three, the three main things that I'm called to do as the pastor of this church. I'm called to teach the word, love every one of you and be available to you unconditionally, and to disciple the assistant pastors. That's what I'm called to do. And so I, and, and anything else that needs done, doing, right? But the point is, I know that that's the calling in my, 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 I need to be prepared and teach you guys the word and I will never come up here unprepared. So I'm going to teach the word. And then I want to love you guys all unconditionally and be available. You all have my cell phone number. If you don't have it, that's your fault, not mine. Cause I give it away to everybody. Can I get an amen to that? And you can call me anytime. And if I don't answer, I'm at work and I will call you back. But I also believe part of what I'm called to do is, in a way, work myself out of a job. (laughs) What I mean by that is, prepare somebody to take my place. See, a lot of churches, there's a problem because the the worship leader doesn't raise up other people. And if he leaves, then they got to go on a six-month search to find a new worship leader. You know what's amazing? When, When Tim and I were gone for three weeks apiece, we had people teaching and people leading worship and nothing changed. Can I get an amen to that? Now, why did that happen? Because you give ministry away. And there's some people that are so, you know, they want to hold on to it. So they're the only one that gets to do it. And that should never be. So whatever ministry involved in, give it away. Raise up someone else to take your place. Amen? I get hit by a bus. Who's the, who's the pastor tomorrow? Who's the pastor? I get hit by a bus on the way home tonight. Who is it? Joshua Camper. Why do I want you to know that? Because I've seen churches where they take two and a half years trying to find a new pastor. If that happens, the pastor didn't do his job. Amen? Raise somebody up and whatever ministry. If you're in the women's ministry, raise people up to help you. Raise up table leaders. If you're in children's ministry, raise people up. Amen? If you're in the youth ministry, we want to raise people up. We want to give people an opportunity to use their gifts. That's what these 288 were doing. They were ministering to these other 4,000. And they were raising them up so that they too could be not just playing alongside, but leading worship themselves. And that's what God would call us to do. And then it says in verse 8, And all those who were under direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps for the service of the house of God, Asaph, Jathan, and Hermon were under the authority of the king. The head of this church and the head of every church is never the pastor, it's always Jesus. Amen? Pastor means, it means servant, it means under rower. And so the pastors here, we're here to serve you. And we're called to be servants. And you don't esteem us, you esteem the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? So the head of the church is Christ, not us. And so the reality is there needs to be uh, less of us and more of him. And we want the focus to be on him. And he gets all the glory. And as you see in verse 8, it says these guys were gifted. They were called. They were leading worship. Asaph was the head of worship over all of Jerusalem. And he was still under the authority of the king. And all of us are still under the authority of the king. When I see people in ministry fall, this is almost always the case. They're under the authority of no one. Almost always. You meet them, they go sideways. They have no accountability. They're under no one's authority. And that is a recipe for disaster. Amen? 
David didn't give the worship assignments out. Notice what it says there in verse 8. They cast lots. Verse 8. They cast lots for their duty, the small as well as the great, the teacher and the students. They would cast lots. They would pull lots out. And sometimes they would let the student lead worship instead of the, instead of the you know, the one who's more proficient. Instead of the expert, if you will, right? And it says right there, so sometimes they would give people an opportunity to use their gifts that may not be as accomplished as somebody else, but if we don't do that, those people are never going to grow. Amen? I loved being on vacation, and I watched all six services, all of the worship, and all of the teaching, and it was a blessing to see all different people that were using their gifts for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? And there's nothing that I love more. The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. Again, just as the priests and the Levites each had an equal part, so too did the students and the teacher. Now, verse 9 through 31, as you go through it, what he's doing is he's just dividing them up into groups of 12. So he's going to make 24 groups of 12. And each one of those groups of 12 is going to serve for two weeks at a time. So we see what you really need to see here is our God is a God of order. Amen? So our God knows what he's doing. And so when, if we're all obedient to move and be led by the Holy Spirit and go to the place where God has called us to serve, I truly believe as we all come that we'll all have gifts that are needed here. Amen? So when you come, if you feel like this is your church home, God knows you're here and he wants to use you here. That's why you're here. Amen? Now, if you're new here, you can sit, you know, get to know the place first, find out if this is your church home. But once you know it's your church home, I want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone and start being used by the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 31. I could go through and read all the names, but it's, just notice it's 24 times, groups of 12, and they would set them apart, and each one of them would serve for two weeks out of the year. Back then, they only had a 48-week calendar. Did you guys know that? There were 12 months with four weeks in each one of them. So that's how it worked. So these 24 family groups, notice it says in verse uh, 31, in the 24th, uh, for Ramatazer, his sons, and his brethren, 12. So there, there were 24 family groups of 12 each, totaling 288 musicians in a rotation. And apparently each group would minister in the temple for about two weeks, then go back home just as the priest did. Now, do you think they went home and just didn't do any more worship for the next 46 weeks? Or do you think they went home and led their family in worship? Amen? Right? You know, if someone's a Bible teacher, they're going to go home and minister to their family. They're going to open up the word of God with their children, with their wife, with, you know, they have Bible study in their house. This picture here reminds me that God has a calling upon each of us, and he will use us where he chooses according to his will. The greatest ability in ministry is availability. Just saying, here I am, Lord, use me. So worship, a heart of worship. I know this is different, the outline tonight, but let me go over it again. The outpouring of our hearts as we rejoice in our salvation. If you don't Worship is because you've lost sight and how incredibly blessed you are that you've been saved. Amen? You're saved. You're born again. You're going to heaven. We ought to be doing backflips. Amen? Worship is an expression of trust and faith. I worship you, Lord, because I trust you. I worship you, Lord, 
because I have faith in you. I worship you, Lord, because you are worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. And you know when we need to worship the most? When we don't feel like it. Can I get an amen to that? Well, things are rough right now, and I'm not real happy. Well, you know what? Worship, because God is still faithful. Ministry in music is more than just good being a good musician. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit being exercised through worship leaders. Worship is singing to the Lord and about the Lord. Not about you, but about the Lord and singing to the Lord. He's the audience of one we sing to. True worship always aligns with the word of God. Worship given by God is prophetic. It's foretelling of truth. It edifies, it exhorts, it consoles. When the Holy Spirit is at work, nothing that the world does can match it. I don't care. I don't care how famous a musician is. I don't care how great their concert is. It's just wood, hay, and stubble and chaff compared to worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can I get an amen to that? What quenches the Holy Spirit in worship? Songs that do not magnify the Lord and worship leaders that are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, worship leaders are to be lead worshipers. And again, my favorite time, I will encourage you, my favorite time to worship is when I'm alone. People hear me coming. I, caught, I got busted on Sunday. I had my worship on so loud that I got out of my car and I was walking up the hill and they're like, that was you, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. When I'm driving to, when I'm driving to church, I crank, I crank, I, I love the song House of the Lord and I love the Revelation song and I'll just pray him over and over and over and it's just, I'm hanging out with Jesus. I'm crying out to the Lord and you know what? And people... I want to encourage you. It's not going to be quiet in heaven. I'm fully convinced of that. Can I get an amen to that? When the Lord comes out, do you think we're going to be shouting just a little bit? What do you think? And you know what? I think, I think it's, it's good to, to, again, there's times that it's good to have contemplative worship, but I'll tell you what, I like to, I like, you know, I like it where my ears bleed a little bit, man. I want to worship. Let's worship God out loud. People go to football stadiums and scream for a guy running with a ball getting knocked down. Amen. Right? The word, fan, the word fanatic, the word fan is short for fanatic. And someone said to me one time, you're a Jesus freak. And she thought she was insulting me. And I thought, who better to be a freak for? Can I get an amen to that? It's good to be a Jesus freak. It's good to honor him. So let's be people of worship. He said, you know, he makes his father's house a house of prayer. We're to be people of the word and of worship. Prayer, the word, fellowship, and worship, right? Those are the things that help us grow as believers, and he is worthy to be worshiped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We thank you that we can worship. We thank you that you hear us when we sing songs to you. And Lord, I pray that we would take time to unhurriedly and undistractedly spend time just worshiping you. Lord, you're so worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. We thank you for those that faithfully, faithfully lead us into your presence and worship. We thank you, Lord, for the, just the, again, the, the blessing that we have to live in a country where we can worship you out loud, at least for now. Lord, help us to make worship a priority and a passion in our lives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...